You're listening to Get Fed Today, one podcast designed to provide the Christian a hearty Bible study five days a week. While our mission is to showcase a variety of different Bible teachers, if you want to access more content from a particular pastor, simply listen to the end of the episode for additional information. On behalf of the entire team at Get Fed Today, it is our prayer that today's episode encourages your growth in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. I needed to go to church tonight, and so thank you for providing a context for that. But really, I just so appreciate your love for the Lord. I'm thankful for that. And um, I have a friend named Lee Shaw. He used to talk about, sometimes talk about Christians who were kind of down on the impact that they were making for Christ or their insignificance in the body of Christ. And he used to say they that it'd be the kind of person that would say, I'm just dirt under the toenail of the body of Christ and um, utterly insignificant, but none of that is true. And it takes every single one of us to make the body of Christ complete and to make it the beautiful, peerless thing that it is in the world. And you have an important part in that. I never take it for granted that there's a church in a city. You say there's a hundred churches in our city. I still don't take it for granted. It's a blessing to assemble together and to worship the Lord together. We need each other and to study the Word together. So we want to begin to do that now by having you stand. And let's turn into John's Gospel, chapter 18, this evening. We'll pick things up in verse 28. John's Gospel, chapter 18, verse 28. And then they led Jesus from Caiaphas to the Praetorium. And it was early morning, but they themselves did not go into the praetorium lest they should be defiled, but that they might eat the Passover. And Pilate then went out to them and said, What accusation do you bring against this man? They answered and said to him, If he were not an evildoer, we would not have delivered him up to you. And then Pilate said to them, You take him and judge him according to your law. And therefore the Jews said to him, It is not lawful for us to put anyone to death, that the saying of Jesus might be fulfilled which he spoke, signifying by what death he would die. And then Pilate entered the praetorium again, called Jesus, and said to him, Are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus answered him, Are you speaking for yourself about this, or did others tell you this concerning me? Pilate answered, Am I a Jew? Your own nation and the chief priests have delivered you to me. What have you done? Jesus answered, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would fight so that I should not be delivered to the Jews. But now my kingdom is not from here. Pilate therefore said to him, Are you a king then? And Jesus answered, You say rightly that I am a king. For this cause I was born, and for this cause I have come into the world, that I should bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. And Pilate said to him, What is truth? And when he had said this, he went out again to the Jews, and he said to them, I find no fault in him at all. Let's pray together. Thank you, Lord, for your word that is going to outlive the heavens and the earth. Thank you for the privilege of being able 
to build our eternity upon that, the truthfulness of your word about your Son and our Savior. Thank you that we're able to build our life upon the foundation of your word and to know that whatever the storms might be that come into our life, that we're on something that is stronger than the rock, Lord, and is immovable. And we thank you, Lord, for the privilege of being able to continue to worship you and to draw near to you as we study your word, Lord. You say that you will draw nigh to us as we draw nigh to you. Draw nigh to us, Lord, as we draw nigh to you and our desire to know you better, to love you more, to bring you even greater pleasure in and through our lives. Thank you tonight for being our God and the privilege of being your children. And we thank you in the name of the one who has made all of it possible. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. On the morning of his crucifixion, Jesus endured two trials, one religious and the other secular. And the religious trial, conducted first by Annas and then Caiaphas, the high priest, and the Sanhedrin, and then in our text this evening we have the record of the secular trial conducted by the Roman governor over Judea at the time, a man by the name of Pontius Pilate. And the context of the secular trial is before us. The Jewish religious leaders had already falsely declared Jesus to be guilty of blasphemy in declaring himself to be the Son of God, and they declared that he was worthy of death as a result of that. But they had a problem the problem that they had was that because they were under Roman occupation, they had no legal authority to execute anyone. Because while Rome gave great freedom to the provinces that it ruled over at the time, they reserved the right to carry out the death penalty to themselves. And thus the Jewish religious leaders needed to involve the Roman governor, Pontius Pilate, in their plot to kill Jesus. All of this is fascinating in a prophetic sense because if the Jews had been self-determining at the time that Jesus came into the world, still possessing the right to carry out capital punishment as they please, then these Jewish religious leaders would have promptly gone out and stoned Jesus to death as was the means of capital punishment under the law of Moses. However, the Old Testament scriptures prophesied concerning the Messiah that when he came into the world, he would come into the world at a time in human history when capital punishment would not be by stoning, but by crucifixion, Rome's means of execution. The Holy Spirit declared through David in Psalm 22, a thousand years before Jesus was ever born, that the Messiah would die having his hands and his feet pierced. Crucifixion. The prophet Zechariah, speaking on behalf of the coming Messiah, prophesied, And I will pour on the house of David and on the inhabitants of Jerusalem the spirit of grace and supplication 
and then they will look on me whom they have pierced. And these verses tell us that Messiah would come into the world at a time in human history, again, when crucifixion, not stoning, would be the means of capital punishment in Israel. And so it was. And fascinating, in calling for Jesus' crucifixion, they were unknowingly fulfilling prophecies that further confirmed him to be the Messiah. Now, very early that morning, they led Jesus to the praetorium in Jerusalem. And the praetorium was the official residence of the Roman uh, governor of Judea at the time. Normally, the Roman governor did not spend a lot of time in Jerusalem. He would spend most of his time in a Roman-built city called Caesarea on the Mediterranean uh, Sea. And, but when the great religious feasts of the Jews would come, and as many as a million Jews would come from all over the world in addition to the Jews that were already in Jerusalem, and they would descend upon the city, adding to the regular population, the governor would then come into Jerusalem just in case a riot or an insurrection broke out. Because emotions ran very, very high, and especially high during the Feast of Passover, which is the context of the passage that we're leading in. Because the Feast of Passover is a feast in which the Jews celebrated their deliverance from the bondage of Egypt. And here they are celebrating God's deliverance of them from the bondage of Egypt. They come into Jerusalem, and they are only to be faced with their bondage to Rome. And so Pilate's residence during this time seems to have been the fortress Antonia there in Jerusalem located on the northeast end of the temple area. You notice in verse 28 that they brought Jesus to the praetorium, but they wouldn't enter. And they wouldn't enter out of a concern for their ceremonial cleanness. They would not enter into a Gentile area Uh, at this time that was close to the Jewish Passover, lest they should come into contact with anything, uh, any bread that was uh, leavened or anything that would render them ceremoniously uh, unclean, and then they would have to go through a cleansing period of seven days, be unable as a result to then participate fully in the Feast of Passover. It's amazing what the religious mind can rationalize what the religious mind can work through, what it can make a big deal out of and overlook, and then what it can make such a small deal of what shouldn't be overlooked. And here they are, they're worried about being ceremonially clean before God, while in their hearts are are thoughts and desires that are so wicked that they're plotting to put to death not only an innocent man, but even the very Son of God. It's called straining a gnat and swallowing a camel. You notice the exchange between the religious leaders and Pilate in verses 29 through 32. Pilate gave in to their concerns about their, spiritual, their ceremonial uh, cleanliness 
And he gives in to this. He understands this about them. And so he came out to them, verse 29. Very early in the morning, probably no later than 6 a.m. in the morning, he had probably received news from some kind of a messenger from the Jewish religious leaders that they were going to approach him early that morning with a prisoner that had violated some heinous crime, committed a heinous crime, and they were going to bring him to Pilate early that morning for him to mete out Roman justice. Now, logically, naturally, Pilate asked them to state their accusation of wrongdoing against Jesus. What crime had he committed that they were charging him with? And they were asking Pilate to judge Jesus based upon Roman law, which meant that they had to feel that he had broken some law of some sort. And Pilate just simply asks them what law they felt Jesus was guilty of breaking. Their answer is given in verse 30. They said, if he were not an evildoer, we would not have delivered him up to you. So they wanted Pilate to confirm their death sentence upon Jesus without a trial, fair or otherwise. And now Pilate starts to ask questions. He is complicating things in a way that if they didn't, if it was unexpected by them, they were certainly hoping that he wouldn't do this. They didn't want to enter into a dialogue with Pilate on that particular morning. And he's complicating things by uh, wanting to be more involved than they wanted him to be involved in. And so they're at a loss for words in terms of answering him because they didn't have a charge against Jesus that would stand up in a Roman court, and they knew that. And the only crime for which they had condemned Jesus to death was his claim to deity. But they would have never brought that charge to Pilate because Pilate would have just simply laughed at them and told them to go take care of it according to their own law. Pilate knew them well. They knew Pilate very, very well. So Pilate, when he speaks to them in verse 31 and says, judge, them, judge him according to your own law, it's like as if he's saying, if you don't want me to judge this case in accordance with Roman law and procedures, if he's not guilty of violating any Roman law, but some religious law of your own, then quit wasting my time and you go judge him yourself. So Pilate's already feeling pressure. He already feels um, hesitant and reluctant to get involved in this situation, whatever this situation is. And their response in verse 31, they declared, it's not lawful for us to put anyone to death. Ah, so that's what this is all about. This is not a exercise in prescribing justice upon some situation. This is all about this man's death. And so Pilate then begins his trial of Jesus, beginning in verse 33, the civil trial of Jesus. And Pilate then leaves the Jewish religious leaders, and he now focuses completely on Jesus, who had been ushered now into the praetorium. And Pilate asked Jesus, are you the king of the Jews? 
The word you is emphatic in the Greek, and it's the idea is, are you the king of the Jews? And in doing this, he's simply doing his job of asking the accused to elaborate on the validity of the charges that have been brought against him. But it isn't unlikely that he said it with some amusement. He turns his attention away from the religious leaders to the object of their hostility and with some kind of, uh, if he had any amusement concerning the situation, it was very, very short-lived. Are you the king of the Jews? Pilate is amazed. There was nothing outwardly about Jesus that indicated he was any threat to anyone. There was nothing uh, outwardly about him that suggested royalty uh, at all. Nothing suggested him to be a revolutionary, that he was a danger to Rome, a danger to the Jews, a danger to the Roman government or any Jewish religious leader. Now you picture Jesus in your mind standing in the midst of the splendor of Rome there at that particular fortress. You've got the pillars, you've got the great stones, you've got the marble, the soldiers are magnificently dressed in that in their uniforms in that setting. And then there stands Jesus. There stands our Savior. He's all alone. He's all alone. There's no entourage with him, not a follower in sight. We know the 12 legions of angels were watching every single thing that was taking place, just waiting for a word to bring all of it to a halt. His clothes, simple, covered now with his own blood. He'd been up all night praying in the Garden of Gethsemane. He'd been savagely beaten twice already that morning. Another terrible beating awaited him at the hands of the Romans. And he's covered with a spit of religious men. And as the Roman governor, Pilate certainly didn't feel that his power was threatened at all by what he saw in Jesus. And then Jesus had a question for Pilate in verse 34. The answer that Pilate received from Jesus was probably very, very different that, than what he expected, and it came in the form of question. And Jesus said, Are you speaking for yourself on this, or did others tell you this about me? And Jesus Ask Pilate whether he is asking this question out of a sincere desire to know the truth about him for himself. Do you really want to personally know the answer to that question? Well, you put yourself in Pilate's place, and this conversation is not going anything like he figured that it would. As is the case with anyone who stands before God, all of a sudden you get this uneasy sense that... Someone else is on trial now, and Pilate is certainly on trial here. He probably thought that Jesus would immediately deny any claim to be the king of the Jews, and then he could go in and take care of this whole thing, and it was all big misunderstanding, and let's defuse this time bomb and have a nice Passover. And Pilate's answer in verse 35 is interesting. He said, Am I a Jew? Your own nation of the chief priests have delivered you to me. What have you done? 
I am a Roman. I'm not a Jew. I don't have time to keep up with the affairs of the Jews. I don't have any charges. I only know what they've told me about you. Your own nation has turned you into me. What have you done? What are you guilty of? And clearly at this point, Pilate is annoyed at being put in the middle of something that doesn't make any sense to him. And Jesus' answer in verse 36, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would fight so that I should, be delivered to, should not be delivered to the Jews. But now my kingdom is not from here. And here Jesus declares to him, Yes, I am the king of a kingdom, a kingdom which is in this world, but it is not of this world, and a kingdom that is not advanced or forwarded on the basis of violence, but on the basis of truth and love and righteousness. It is a spiritual kingdom, not a physical kingdom, that would have been any threat physically to Rome. In other words, Pilate, you ask me what I'm guilty of, and that is what I am guilty of. That's what you're in the middle of. And when I am crucified, know that it is for that reason and no other for being a king over a great and heavenly kingdom. Pilate then asks the question, verse 37, Are you a king then? And I love the scene. You listen to Pilate here and all of this. The irritation has disappeared completely. Now there's a softness, there's a curiosity that's a part of his heart. There's a flash of it. There's a respect that he has that's clear for Jesus. And Jesus' answer in verse 37, You rightly say that I am a king. For this cause I was born, and for this cause I have come into the world that I should bear witness to the truth, and everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. And Jesus affirmed to Pilate that he was a king. And Pilate's question concerning truth in verse 38, what is truth? And significantly, Pilate related his verdict concerning Jesus to the Jewish religious leaders in verse 38, and he confessed that he had found no fault in Jesus at all. So again, on the morning of Jesus' crucifixion, Jesus endures two trials, one religious and one secular. And I ask myself, why would God allow it? Why would he allow this to be done to his son? Why would he allow the humiliation of the two trials? We understand the reasons for the cross, the necessity of the cross for the forgiveness of man's sins. But why the trials? What is a trial? A trial is essentially an examination. And I'm convinced that God allowed these trials in order to give both Jew and Gentile, both religious and secular man, a chance to examine Jesus in order to find some fault in him. 
some opportunity to uncover some spot, some blemish in his life, something that would disqualify him and his claims to be the Son of God and the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. It's interesting in Exodus chapter 12 concerning the Passover lamb related to the law of Moses. And the Passover was the feast that was being celebrated at this time. That each family was to take a lamb without spot and without blemish. It was to be chosen from out from among the flock for sacrifice on the tenth day. And then it was to be sacrificed on the fourteenth day. Why four days? of separation between the two events. Why separate the lamb from the rest of the flock, put it over here near the doorway of the house, and wait four days to then sacrifice the lamb unto the Lord? What is the purpose of the time period? It was for the purpose of examination. Four days given in which a flaw might be found in that animal And as the animal was separated and examined, and how was the animal examined? It was as it was there tied up or penned or however it was near the doorway of the house. You have people coming in and out of the house all day, every day for four days. They look at that lamb from upside, from downside, from front to back, from left to right. In four days, they've looked at that lamb every way you can look at that lamb a thorough examination. And it reminds us as we read the full account of Pilate there on the morning of Jesus' crucifixion, he goes out from the praetorium to the Jewish religious leaders. He comes back into Jesus. He goes out. He comes back. He goes out. He comes back. He goes out. He comes back. It's all a picture of what God knew would happen in the book of Exodus. The Lord was giving them all the time that was necessary, even on the morning of Jesus' crucifixion, to examine that lamb for spot and for blemish. And that's why heaven sat silent in the face of these trials. It's why the Father allowed them, and that is why Jesus so readily submitted to them. Mankind was being given ample opportunity, ample time to examine Jesus as the Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world to see if they could find any spot, any blemish, any flaw, any failure, any sin. What was the conclusion of these trials, these examinations? Concerning Annas, we're told in John chapter 18, verse 19, that the high priest then asked Jesus about his disciples and his doctrine And Jesus answered him, I've spoken openly to the world. I always taught in the synagogues and in the temple where Jesus always meets, and in secret I've said nothing. Why do you ask me? Ask those that have heard me what I have said to them. Indeed, they know what I have said. And when he had said these things, one of the officers who stood by struck Jesus with the palm of his hand, saying, Do you answer the high priest like that? Jesus answered him, If I have spoken evil... Bear witness of the evil, but if well, why do you strike me? And Jesus challenged them that if he had spoken evil to bear witness of it. And what was the response in the room? 
silence, complete and total silence. And it was Annas's job to find a fault in Jesus on that morning. His entire religious and financial empire hangs in the balance of finding a fault in Jesus on that morning and how desperately Annas wanted just one spot, one blemish, one flaw, one sin to grab a hold of in order to justify his rejection of Jesus as the Messiah. But the Lamb of God had silenced him, and Annas's silence was a confession that he found Jesus to be without spot and without blemish. And then Jesus was taken before Caiaphas and the Sanhedrin, where we're told in Mark's gospel that they led Jesus away to the high priest, and with him were assembled all the chief priests, the elders, and the scribes. And the chief priests and all the council sought testimony against Jesus to put him to death and found none. They were silenced. Their examination of him found him without fault. And then our mind turns to Judas Iscariot, where Matthew's gospel tells us that then Judas, his betrayer, seeing that he had been condemned, was remorseful and brought back the 30 pieces of silver to the chief priests and elders, saying, I have sinned in betraying innocent blood. And they said, what is that to us? You see to it. And then he threw down the pieces of silver in the temple and departed, and he went and hanged himself. If ever there was a man in human history, if he had ever could have seen and witnessed in the three and a half years in which he was with Jesus during his public ministry, listened to everything Jesus said, saw every interaction with every person, saw him in every conceivable context. And at the end of his examination, as intimate an examination, only 12 men in human history were granted that kind of intimacy. Pilate or Judas at this particular point of time would have given his right arm to have had some accusation of sin against Jesus to justify what he had done in rejecting Christ. And yet he found Jesus without spot and without blemish. And when Jesus was scourged by the Roman soldiers at Pilate's command, Jesus was silent through all 39 stripes. The 39 stripes were given in order to at some point in the course of the whipping and the beating that the criminal would confess their wrongdoing, the crime that they had been accused of and maybe other crimes. But because Jesus had never, ever done anything wrong, he silently endured all 39 stripes. And before Pilate, as we've seen here, Pilate goes out again to the Jews and he says to them, even later in the morning, I find no fault in him. Later in the same trial and examination, Luke's gospel tells us that then Pilate, when he had called together the chief priests, the rulers, and the people, he said to them, 
you have brought this man to me who is as one who misleads the people. And indeed, I have examined him in your presence. I have found no fault in this man concerning those things of which you accuse him. No, neither did Herod, for I sent him, you back to him. And indeed, nothing worthy of death has been f- done by him. And later, still in the morning, John chapter 19, Pilate then went out again and he said to the Jewish religious leaders, Behold, I am bringing him out to you that you may know that I find no fault in him. And then Jesus came out wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe. Pilate said to him, Behold the man. And therefore the chief priests and the officers, when they saw him, they cried out saying, Crucify him, crucify him. Pilate said to them, You take him and crucify him, for I find no fault in him. Four times that morning, Pilate declares that he finds no fault in Jesus. And then in Matthew's gospel, chapter 27, when Pilate saw that he could not prevail at all, the Bible tells us, but rather that a tumult was rising, he took water, he washed his hands before the multitude, saying, I am innocent of the blood of this righteous man. You see to it. And finally, Pilate questioned the religious crowd in Jerusalem on that morning. And Mark's gospel tells us, But Pilate answered, and he said to them, What then do you want me to do with him, whom you call the king of the Jews? And they cried out, Crucify him. And Pilate said to them, Why, what evil has he done? And there was no answer to that question. And they cried out, All the more exceedingly, Crucify him. And they had no answer of wrongdoing in Jesus, because there was no answer. I think about the thief on the cross as Jesus hangs upon that cross. Luke tells us that then one of the criminals who were hanged blasphemed Jesus, saying, if you're the Christ, then save yourself and us. But the other answering rebuked him, saying, do you not even fear God, seeing that you under the same condemnation, and we indeed justly, for we receive the due reward of our deeds, but this man has done nothing wrong. And then he said to Jesus, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus said to him, Assuredly, I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. Earlier in Jesus' public ministry, the religious leaders tried to publicly humiliate him, and he responded, John's Gospel, chapter 8, and he said to them, If God were your father, you would love me. For I proceeded forth and came from God, nor have I come of myself, but he sent me. Why do you not understand my speech? Because you're not able to listen to my word. You are of your father the devil, and the desires of your father you want to do. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth, because there is no truth in him. And when he speaks a lie, he speaks it from his own resources, for he is a liar and the father of it. But because I tell the truth, you do not believe me. And then Jesus posed the question, which of you convicts me of sin? The Living Bible puts it this way, which of you can truthfully accuse me of one single sin? And what was the response of the Jewish religious leaders? Silence. Not one of them could break 
the silence with an accusation. Again, they would have collectively given all of their right arms to break the silence of that question, and they couldn't. Imagine, and the reason that they couldn't is because Jesus was without spot and without blemish. And then Jesus said to them, Jesus broke the silence. Only he can break that silence. And he went further and he said to them, And if I tell the truth, then why do you not believe me? And at the end of all of these examinations, every person was forced to declare, I find no fault in him. Why? Because he was a lamb without spot and without blemish given by God, not to redeem us from Egypt, but to redeem us from the greater bondage of sin. Its penalty, its power, and one day from its presence. And this evening, I want to add my voice to Pilate's conclusion. I have known Jesus, and I have examined him for 33 glorious years. And I have found no fault in him. I have examined him from the mountaintop. I have examined him from the deepest valleys. I've examined him in everything between those two great extremes. And my life has tested his teaching and his truth and his promises and his wisdom in every conceivable way. And I testify to you tonight, I find no fault in him. And how many of you can testify to his glory and to your blessing that you have found no fault in him? And Jesus passed all of these trials, all of these examinations conducted by Jew and Gentile alike on the morning of his crucifixion. He has passed the test of untold hundreds and hundreds of millions of human lives throughout human history. And he is the perfect, sinless Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. You say, did you say all of that to just say that at the end? I said all of this to say that at the end. And for us to give consideration tonight to the privilege of knowing such a one and to never take it for granted that we have the privilege of knowing and following this Jesus in whom we have not 
and never will find fault. What else can you say about that about in all of the world and in all of human history? And we get to say it about the person who is most important to us and all of life. And I give the Bible study tonight candidly as an introduction to an opportunity to give him worship and praise and glory from our hearts tonight for who he is and what he means to us, this Lamb of God who has not only taken away the sins of the world, but taken our sin away as well. Let's give him praise and thanks and worship and adoration this evening as the worship team leads us in worship tonight. Thank you for listening to Get Fed Today. Today's sermon comes from Pastor Damian Kyle. If you enjoy the message, you can access more of Pastor Damian's teaching ministry by visiting ccmodesto.com.